You're still getting real with the realest man on radio. Let's talk about gentrification. Let's talk about it. The word has become almost like profanity to some. And it's really not gentrification. It's irresponsible gentrification. That's really what we mean when we say it now, especially dealing in the city of Atlanta. I want to remind you that gentrification in all major cities, D.C. is included, by the way, all happens under black leadership. Can I say that again? Gentrification in our major cities typically happens under black leadership. Wow. How does that happen? Because politics is not the end all. It's still a money game. It is still a money game. The Asian community per capita, they are the richest ethnic group in the United States of America. They vote at a level of 4.8%. But have more collective economic power than black folks that vote at much higher levels, even though they say we don't vote. So obviously voting is not your end all. It's part of it. But it does not tell the whole story. In the studio, I have Kamau Franklin, founder of Community Movement Builders. Kamau, how are you? I'm doing good, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for being on the program. I also have Zahir Netjer from Community Movement Builders. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for being here. And I had to talk Rashawn Dillegard to be here on the show because she wanted just to be um, an observer. <laughs> no, ma'am. How are you? Thank I'm you doing, for being here. I'm doing well. Thank you. Let's talk about this from the perspective of what gentrification is and how it actually looks to people who become displaced. This is your level of expertise, mm-hmm. Kamal. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't distinguish necessarily between good gentrification or, or bad gentrification. I think gentrification is bad, particularly for poor, working class, black communities. Gentrification is a process where folks with resources, the real estate developers, come and start targeting communities for what they would call making improvements or changes in those communities, which pushes out the long-term residents. Uh, And we work particularly in the Pittsburgh area of Atlanta, and we've seen that happening uh, as it's happening all across Atlanta, and as you mentioned earlier, as it's happening in D.C. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, as it's happening in Brooklyn. Uh, It's happening in Detroit. It's happening all over the country where Similar, again, to what you said, black folks don't own the necessary resources to control their neighborhood, and they become victims to outside interests who come in, they'll do name changes and so forth, and start taking over that community. So we think that's a threat. We think, you know, having big box, people people think development happens in one particular way, which is bringing in big box stores or new big developments. But in these working class communities and doing mixed income housing, but in these working class communities, what that often means is it's the death knell of how these communities used to be and or could be. And I think there's alternative ways in which development could happen that we like to put forth and that we think others in the city should start putting forth. Let's talk about those alternative ways because the truth is there are laws. There's constitutionality. You can't just say no to a developer because they want to develop. That developer would take you to court and you lose all negotiating power if the judge rules against you. I've seen that happen with a couple of cities that took a hard stance against development and development actually beat them in court. So what is the alternative measure here that's more congruent to the residents who live there? 
I think one of the one of the big things that the city of Atlanta and other cities do not do is start developing land trusts. Mm. Usually, the biggest real estate owner, even in terms of private housing, is still local cities. Like the city capacity to control real estate is enormous, and so you have abandoned buildings, you have buildings that are or houses that are or have tax liens on them. Those houses could easily go into the land bank and be converted once they once they clear any issues that they have on them and be converted into land trusts. And what land trusts are is that they're in a way that they're the the structures on top are sold, but the land underneath, the ground, is collectively or communally owned, and that keeps the value of the property in a sustainable way. And so instead of the property just being uh, open to market fluctuations. Right, going out of control. Yeah, it's a, there's a standard, and it keeps it, it keeps a, uh, a housing market intact with what the residential community can afford. So we think the city of Atlanta and other cities do not take advantage of something like this because they are too beholden to real estate classes. I think there's also, you know, there's these tax breaks and so forth that are given um, for low-income housing. They can change uh, the ways in which low-income housing is thought of in terms of uh, uh, this uh, uh, keeping uh, rent control or, or um, um, uh, I think, AMI yeah. um, uh, measures a higher percentage so that poor people and working class people can afford to stay in these communities. But instead, I think what happens is that they cater to um, rich, uh, rich real estate developers because they see it, the moneyed interest. And I do think there's other ways that they can start formulating plans that help us as a community. You know what's so ridiculous to me? And it's the political game, right? Before I got into broadcasting, I was um, chief strategist and director for the Georgia Democratic Party. And I never understood the political play because typically when you get involved in this as a rubber stamp to development as an elected official, you end up rubber stamping your ass right up out of there, mm-hmm. too, because mm-hmm. the new folks moving in, they're not voting for you. Exactly. So I never even understood it on the political tip. Yeah. I always say that, you know, people like Kasim, you know, even the most cynical of politicians, particularly black politicians, to destroy public housing, for instance. Yeah. Even the most cynical politician, you go to public housing during Thanksgiving, do a turkey drive, you got yourself 500, 1,000, 1,500 votes. When you destroy or take away public housing and don't replace it with anything that equals the amount of housing units that you took away from, you're basically throwing out a voting block for yourself outside the community. And that's why we've seen in these latest elections how black politicians have come this like a, a microcosm away, that's right. a few hundred votes away from losing these positions. We got more on the other side, 404-892-2703. We're going to open this conversation up to the entire team from Community Movement Builders. And you guys are operating out of Pittsburgh. Yeah, we're operating in the Pittsburgh area community, of Atlanta. Yeah. We're in a house in Atlanta that's a community house where we do uh, youth organizing work. We have a child care collector that operates out of our house. We have an urban garden that's right next door that we control. We have a property across the street that's a house plot that we're also doing gardening on. So we're stakeholders in this community. We're developing micro businesses and cooperative businesses. We have an aquaponic system. So we are stakeholders in this community, and we want to do as much as we can to keep the working class element in this community in place. That's beautiful. We'll talk more about that on the other side. If you got a question, call us up, 404-892-2703. Somebody asked me, did I celebrate Cinco de Mayo yesterday? Here's my response, okay? If Mexicans would celebrate Kwanzaa like Negroes celebrate Cinco de Mayo, the world would be a better place. In the studio, we have Kamal Franklin, founder of Community Movement Builders, also Zahir Netjer and Rashawn Dilligar from the same organization. They are housed literally inside of the Pittsburgh community mm-hmm. doing remarkable 
work. Let me bring your team into this conversation. Let me get your background as to why you're involved in this kind of work. And uh, Rashawn, I'll start with you. Well, um, I am an educator, and I would love to. Um, I, I met Kamal and, and a lot of the good things that he's doing, and I teach at a majority black high school. I've been through that culture as well. So really wanting to um, spread more of knowledge uh, within our youth. I think a lot of times you work at changing old mindsets instead of instilling new mindsets. And so I think in that realm with the young adults, um, they're a lot more culturally aware. They're more, they're a lot more culturally involved. So yeah. I think that can be my niche. Um, it's kind of like that wave of uh, the 60s has now rolled over, and now we've got this new, uh, more consciously aware millennial group. Because they are exposed to things much Correct. earlier. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, I was a part of many different revolutionary organizations. Okay. And my main focus is how to bring uh, revolution in a practical method. Yeah. And how can we bring about serious uh, systematic change? And I've been through a lot of different organizations, and I felt like community movement builders offered uh, the best practical uh, platform and method to assisting in that change. Uh, Kamal, you have a very smart team. Mm -hmm. You're a smart guy. Where is the economic value in doing something like this for a community? I think for, for the community, the, the economic value is in trying to control the resources mm -hmm. of that community so that they can build businesses and cooperative, cooperative businesses, group-owned businesses that they control and that they can see financial benefit from for their larger community. There's a few stories out there about how neighborhood associations have started buying up um, um, uh, property in their neighborhoods and turning those properties into uh, uh, viable businesses and business models so that they themselves can raise more resources and money to build their community. Again, as opposed to just allowing outside developers to come in and do box stores or other developments, which usually are about chasing people out. They're about uh, raising the property taxes, property value, which raises the property taxes, um, and they may provide some low-paying jobs, but they don't do anything to transform those, those communities themselves. And so the work that we do is about trying to figure out if we can create these businesses that we're doing. We have a kale chip company. I mentioned the aquaponics um, work that we're doing. We have a farmer's market. How can we turn some of these small business opportunities into community-owned cooperatives that really help ignite the community's economic interest? You said something very powerful. I teach leadership theory and leadership psychology, and you can break down leadership in a lot of different ways, but two primary areas of leadership is either transformational or transactional. What you just talked about as it relates to developers who will develop and create some low-level paying jobs, that is 100% transactional leadership. Mm -hmm. There is nothing transformational about that leadership. You're saying that your plan and your process is more of a transformational process yes, sir. for mm -hmm. the local community. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think and that's vitally important. For us, it's how do we make sure that those long-term residents in that community benefit from changes, benefit from new development? Um, I think people, again, they take the easy way out. They take the route that they most know, which is, hey, property values are rising, real estate companies come in, other places come in. Um, and folks think that sometimes that's going to benefit them. But in the long run, we've seen over and over again how that pushes people out of their community. and means a whole new set of people in their community who like to walk their dogs, 
who like certain kinds of coffee, and those folks don't resemble the old folks who have been there, and they wind up taking over that community. Again, we've seen this all over the country, and we need to make sure that the last remaining places in Pittsburgh and Atlanta that are black and working class stay black and working class. Can we talk about Miss Maddie? Let's talk about Miss Maddie, yeah. Miss Maddie touched my heart a few years ago, obviously with the fight to remain on her property as well as her neighbors. Uh, Tanya Washington is a big part of that movement. Mm-hmm. One of the last few residents left yes. of People's Town. Mm-hmm. And I was there, and, and my radio listeners are well aware, to hold a press conference. Uh, Deborah from uh, Georgia Stand Up and many others uh, were there. Mayor Bill Campbell, Felicia Moore, president of the city council. Mary Norwood came out, and also the, uh, the wife of Maynard uh, Jackson was there. When you have situations like this, where the city is coming in, and saying we're going to utilize the awesome power mm-hmm. of eminent domain to do exactly what we want to do. What's your stance on that? I think it's something that people need to rise up and fight back against the city, which I think Miss Maddie, I think Miss Tanya Washington, the Dor- um, the Dorans who are also in People's Town, yeah. they've done just that. They've taken stances to fight back against this gentrification platform and the city using its its huge power to do just that, to reshape and remodel communities without the input of that, that community itself. Um, and I think that, you know, we're still waiting on what Keisha Lance Bottoms ultimately will be like in terms of low-income housing, moderate-income housing, community-controlled housing, right? I think she just had a meeting with the Dordans, and, and according to the Dordans, it was a very good meeting. They good. felt uplift. They felt some promise. But we still have a wait-and-see attitude because this, as we said earlier, and you mentioned at the top of the show— this type of gentrification has been happening under black mayor leadership, under black uh, city council leadership. Yeah. So we can't say it's an accident. We can't say it's a oops. We didn't know this was happening. This is something that people have put forth that they've somehow agreed with. And now the check is coming due. They're noticing the dwindling amount of population in Atlanta. And now folks want to stand up and do something. Let me ask you this before we get into the, to the community events. Do you think sometimes these politicians are being duped? I don't think they're being duped. I think it's happened. Things like this are happening too often, too far, too they long are in history. Yeah, they're complicit. This is a combination of the black political class and the white economic elite teaming up to say this is how Atlanta is going to get run. And there'll be some benefit for the black political elite if they agree to run it this way. And I think that's what's happened over the last couple of decades. All right. Let's talk about these events coming up. Well, one thing I wanted to say mm-hmm. was that we talked about transforming politics. And that's the main focus of the group. That's why we push cooperative economics, because mm-hmm. we also have to change how we um, operate towards each other. So we're going to do this off a communal base. And then when we start engaging in politics, we can leave this idea of depending on one political hero to save us. That's right. It's masses of people engaging in consistent uh, civic engagement. Yeah. And so that's that's the basis that we're going. Well on. said. And that model works regardless of who's in power, typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, regarding our uh, community, we're going to have a community garden event, and it's uh, June 22nd. Uh, our main focus is um, pretty much incorporating the entire community. Mm-hmm. There are going to be um, performers. Um, we're going to have cooking classes to show healthy eating based on the greens that we have on our own property. Nice. Showing people how to do that, um, as well as uh, just other events, uh, the aquaponics, uh, showing people how that works as well. And um, we're also going to hopefully have uh, a mobile unit because okay. we want to have physicians in the area to do health checks as well. Beautiful. Because a lot of times, um, just due to not having access, yeah, you don't know your health status. So we want to make sure that we're having having people become healthier, checking their health status, 
uh, and making sure that they're here for a long, sustainable time. Is there a website or an address? Yes. How can people connect? Communitymovementbuilders.org. Communitymovementbuilders.org, and yes. they can get the rest of the information there. Yes, sir. Yes, they can. And right. on Facebook. Community Movement Builders on Facebook. Yeah. And Instagram. And IG. <laughs> <laughs> who, who runs the IG page? Oh. Well, it's a collective. It's yeah. a collective. I, uh, I'm a little old. I used to try to run it, and then I accidentally deleted it. And then they <laughs> Are had you to serious, man? Yeah, I should. How yeah, in the yeah. heck? Do you know how many yeah. protocols you got to go through to delete an uh, exactly. IG account? That's how bad I did. Yeah, Damn. I was like, what's this? If I press this button, what happens next? So I'm no longer handling that. Yeah, keep the password away from that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all. I appreciate you so much. You're doing the work of God. Anytime I can be of service, make sure you call me, okay? Thank, Thank you, brother. You so much. Time. Thank you. You're getting real with the realest man on Radio News and Talk 1380 WAOK.